Hey everyone, Pastor Vaughn here with another episode of Rock Talk. It's a rock, our rock church podcast where we can become better followers of Jesus and better people for this world. Hey, uh, we took an extended break for Christmas. We hope you guys had an awesome, awesome Christmas celebration and a, an amazing start to our brand new year here for 2021. Guys, we made it through the year 2020. That is awesome. We are survivors. So count yourselves as lucky. I don't know. But anyways, hey, we started this new series called Mental Check here at the Rock Church where we talk about, uh, it's actually a conversation about Jesus, his church, uh, and mental health. And it's a, a talk that needs to happen within the church sphere. And it's a epidemic, I would say. Uh, that the church needs to be okay with getting in the middle of. So uh, this episode of Rock Talk, we have a special guest. Her name is Amanda Booth. She is from uh, Western Nebraska. She's a close friend of mine, but she's going to talk about a little bit of her experience with church and the mental health uh, and share a lot about her journey of mental health. So I include. I, I hope that you guys uh, tune in and really hear what she has to say. It's a lot of eye-opening stuff as we begin our new series here on Rock Talk, Mental Check. So without further ado, here's Amanda Booth. All right. Well, thank you guys for jumping on Rock Talk, where we're going to help people become a better person for the world and a better follower of Jesus Christ. Today, we have uh, Amanda Booth with us, and uh, we're going to be talking about our new series, Mental Check. Uh, last Sunday, uh, I talked about taking care of your mental health, being proactive in it, um, and really trying to normalize it in our church. Uh, and uh, we were trying to think of you know, who could be a, a great person for this first one, I was going to kind of maybe uh, talk a little bit just myself. And I'm like, you know what? I have a friend who wrote an awesome article, uh, and maybe we can have her on there. So Amanda Booth, thank you for being on Rock Talk. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so, and thank you for being super flexible. I know this was a little last minute, uh, trying to get this all going. And uh, I, I just started my my master's degree. It actually starts today. So I was trying to get all the stuff in order last week. And I'm like, oh, I've got a podcast to record. i got to get that in there. But thank you for being super flexible with that. Yeah, um, no but yeah, so for those who are listening, um, you know, you attended our church for a little bit when I first got here. Um, how, how long were you here for? I think I was there for about a year and nine months. Okay, yeah. So you're here for, for a while, a little bit at least. Yeah. So there are some listeners that might remember you. Um, yes. But I bet you if you were to attend today, uh, it probably looks like a totally new congregation. <laughs> and so, awesome. yeah. <laughs> so for those of you, uh, for those who don't know you, can introduce yourself, get a little history on her, um, who you are, and um, yeah. So I'm Amanda Booth, and um, as you already know, that obviously is Vaughn has introduced me. Um, I enjoy a whole slew of things, music, writing, um, drawing, painting. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I also write for a mental health organization, um, and I enjoy that a lot. I've published about 14 articles in the last year. So that takes up my time. I'm also pursuing my bachelor's in behavioral health. Um, with the plan of going through my master's as well. So I've got, I got a little bit of school ahead of me before I finish. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you name the organization that you write for? Who, who's that? It's called The Mighty. Okay. They have about yeah. 1.4 million subscribers. So it's a fairly large organization. Yeah. And is that organization specifically for those with uh, um, mental health stuff? It's for mental health and chronic illness. So um, you can you can go on Facebook and search mental health by the mighty and there'll be tons of articles and resources and things like that out there. Nice. All right. So we're talking about taking care of your mental health. And uh, um, I mean, I want to kind of talk with you about uh, your journey with all of this as much as you're comfortable with. Um, But kind of give a background on your journey with mental health, um, how it all began, um, some of the good uh, good things that came out of it, maybe some of the bad things. Uh, one thing that I, I found out is I would say about a good 40% of my church um, wrestle with mental health. Before we started preaching this, um, I got uh, a handful of emails and DMs about uh, just thanking us for doing this series, which uh, which is good, but put a lot of pressure on us. Make sure <laughs> we do it right and do it well and do it in a way that um, gets rid of uh, stigmas, um, but encourages um, starting that healing journey and, you know, just trying to uh, make this, make sure that the church knows that we can be in the middle of it and be proactive in it. And so, but yeah, she kind of shared about your journey with uh, your, your mental health. Yeah. So um, I have schizoaffective disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So schizoaffective, I'll give you a little bit of background. So schizo meaning schizophrenia and affective means mood disorder. So mood disorder can either be bipolar disorder or major depressive disorder. So you can have, there's kind of two opposite ends. I have the bipolar disorder and then within bipolar disorder, there's two types. So it gets super complicated. Wow. So I'm type one, type one experiences full blown mania and then depression. Type two experiences hypomania, which is a lesser form of um, a manic episode and depression as well. So in reality, there's such a broad spectrum of bipolar disorder that someone could have it and they could have type two and you would never know because their episodes are a little less severe than somebody that has type one. so that's, that's my diagnosis. And then I have generalized anxiety disorder. That's your run of the mill anxiety. Um, and it really all started when I was about five. Um, most kids have an imaginary friend. I had a full blown hallucination friend oh. and it was a dog and I would see it out of the corner of my eye and everything like that. And at the time when I went to my parents and I said, Hey, you know, these, I was five. So I didn't say, Hey, these are the things that are happening, but I explained what was going on and I would hear voices and things like that, that just weren't normal. And I knew even at five that something wasn't right. So I went to them and this is what started the stigma for me is they were basically like, this is scaring me. You need to not talk about this. Uh, 
So that really started the isolation process of knowing this isn't okay to talk about. So I need to just deal with it on my own and not bother people with it. So flash forward through my high school years, um, when I was 13, I had my first major depressive episode. Um, I was super suicidal. It was a really bad time. Um, I actually attempted suicide at that point in time. And at 13, you may think that's really young, but in reality, there's tons of 12 year olds, 13, 14 year olds that are struggling with suicidal thoughts. Um, So through that, I ended up on antidepressants, which if, if you're familiar with antidepressants and bipolar disorder, they actually counteract each other. And antidepressants will put somebody into a manic episode and like long periods of manic episodes. So where most teenagers are a little wild and they're a little rebellious, I was like to the extreme. I was very difficult to handle. And it was because I was in this constant manic state where I was restless I was having these feelings of euphoria that I was totally invincible. I could do anything I wanted. So I drove crazy. I drank a lot. There was tons of um, just bad behavior that I went through. And then at 19, I quit taking the antidepressants. I was just done with them. I figured I don't need them. I'm feeling great. after I took the, after I stopped taking the antidepressants is actually when I found Jesus. It was my first encounter with Jesus and I gave my life to him. And I remember distinctly being suicidal right after I quit taking the meds, I went major depressive episode again. And I thought something was wrong with me because I was suicidal before I found Jesus. And after I found Jesus, everyone says they were happy and they were filled with joy and I was still suicidal. So I went through a lot of years thinking I'm just a bad Christian. I just need to pray more and read the Bible more and meditate more and go to church more and be involved with things more. And in reality, I was just dealing with a mental illness that had really not been diagnosed at that point in time. Like it didn't so, exist at that time? It it was undiagnosed. I was still, okay. I was struggling with it, but I had never gone to a psychiatrist and actually had a proper diagnosis. Oh, okay. So at that point in time, I still didn't know what I was dealing with. It was kind of this obscure reality that I was living in. Um, When I was 19, I'll have a funny story just as a side note. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. Um, One of my delusions was actually thinking there were mass graves being built behind the zoo in Scott's Bluff where I live. And and it's, it's totally 
absurd to think that there's mass graves being built. But I was completely convinced that the government had a conspiracy against us. And we were in the process of building these mass graves for another catastrophe. Um, and so I actually drove by those graves and a voice would tell me, um, you need to monitor these. And when I tell you, you need to tell people. Oh, wow. So I would drive by these graves and I was 19. I drive by three times a day and I would check on them and I would take notes. And then when the time came, I was supposed to tell people. Luckily I didn't, I came out of that delusion and kind of rationalized my way out um, before I told a bunch of people. That would have been a little bit crazy. People would have definitely taken note that something wasn't right. So that was happening at 19. I didn't get diagnosed until I was 27. So I went a lot of years hiding the illness and people still would never know that I had the illness, that I kept it so well hidden that a lot of people would have never known. Um, and so there was lots of hiding and isolation. And I went through years of not having friends and or having very shallow friendships. You know, they would ask you, how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm fine. And we'd go about our day and that would be about it. No one would ask me, you know, are you really doing fine? And if they had, I don't know what I would have said. I wouldn't have experienced, I never experienced somebody actually caring about my mental state. Yeah. Were you, was it, if those conversations did happen, would they pretty much reflect kind of the conversation you had with your parents where it was kind of like, like keep it away from me? And I think so. I think that's yeah. how most people would have responded, especially in the church. Um, what we don't know, we fear. And so that unknown turns into fear of people. And instead of pressing in and saying, I don't understand this, but I want to understand this. A lot of people just say, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this. Don't talk to me about it. So I got diagnosed at 27 and I was actually working for a church at the time and I actually had a therapist tell me, not my therapist, but a therapist tell me that I would have to quit my job because the church would never accept somebody with an actual diagnosis. Oh, really? And I was like, a part of me believed that and a part of me really struggled with the fact that I would never be fully accepted again within the church, especially, especially working for a church or working in ministry and somehow, um, even volunteering, people oftentimes don't put people struggling with mental illness in authority positions. And I, I honestly believe there needs to be more pastors with mental illness because they can be incredibly empathetic and compassionate and understanding um, if they're honest with their mental illness. Yeah. 
So I was diagnosed. Um, I started therapy right away. I started on medication. Medication, I believe, saved my life. Um, I, I was so suicidal at that point in time that I had created plans. I hadn't put a date yet on me ending my life, but I had definitely created a plan and was ready to do it. And then medication intervened and I had a whole bunch of relief and I got to this point where I was finally baseline. I had never experienced what quote unquote normal felt like or closer to normal. Um, I didn't realize that every day wasn't a huge roller coaster of emotions and Sometimes you can just have mundane days and it's okay. Um, I had never experienced anything like that. So it was an all new reality for me. Um, to be honest, my hallucinations and delusions and paranoia and most of my psychosis has still stayed with me. It's less, but it still is present in my life. Um, I've just learned to cope with it and deal with it, um, trying to be really mindful of the psychosis and not allow it to control most of my life. It, it's just there. That's how yeah. I would explain it. It's just there. I experience it, but it isn't consuming all of my thoughts and everything like that. So as of today, I take therapy. I see my psychiatrist about once a month. Um, I cope with it every single day. I do a lot of meditation and a lot of um, just being still and being mindful of the thoughts that are passing through my mind. Um, that has really helped me stay on, stay on track. Yeah. Yeah. So you grew up, you got, di uh, you, you didn't get diagnosed for till clear later, but I mean, it started hitting your life about five years old, brought it to your parents, um, parents, nothing um, really on them, but you know, their, their child's come with them saying, you know, I'm starting to seeing some things and just the fear of the unknown, they kind of squelch a little bit. Hopefully maybe it's just a phase to, to grow out of. And then right. it clearly affected your teenage years. And then going into adulthood and even working in ministry and, and doing those things. And that's one of the reasons, you know, when you talked about ministry and that therapist said that, you know, you're going to have to quit your job. They, they don't allow church. They don't allow, um, it's a, it's a stigma in the church. And it's, it's not going to work well for you working in ministry while wrestling with schizophrenia and all these, uh, these various things. And um, it's one of the reasons why we want to talk about it uh, is because specifically in my church, um, like I said, about a good 40% of people in my church um, have a mental disorder or they're wrestling with their mental health. Um, and especially with COVID, I think that really um, revealed people's state of mental health. I think we've maybe lived in a safe bubble for a little bit. And then once crisis hit, you know, crisis is the best revealer in someone's life. Um, I think they realized where they were at with isolation and quarantining. I just raised a bunch of different things. And so I was thinking, you know, uh, these people are in my church and God brings people to my church and some of them might be future leaders. I'm like, so there's gotta be a way to, to normalize these things. 
Um, did, have you, um, have you confront, have you, have you been faced with stigmas in the church head on because of mental health? Yes. Um, there have been a few situations where people oftentimes experience something about me, something about my personality, and they chalk it up to a symptom. Um, mm everything is a symptom. So it's not, I can't be mad. Um, it's, I can't be mad for a justified reason. It's just me being bipolar. Um, and oftentimes that gets in the way of me interacting with people, um, things like that. People have told me and reassured me that it would be very difficult for me to work in a church with mental illness. Um, I've had a few friends even say, "How? what are your plans for the future? Because I don't foresee you being able to work in a church. It's one thing, it's often one thing to have people in your church and welcome them with mental illness and say we're a church full of people that struggle. It's another thing to have somebody on your staff or in a authoritary authority role mm -hmm. where they're actually in charge of something um, and to have mental illness. There's kind of this divide in the church where we say we want to welcome them, but we don't want them on our staffs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, put yourself back on, you know, an authoritative role on a church and you're, um, you know, you're rolling through all of this. Um, I mean, what, what, what is that? What, what does kind of that work load look like? Because me not wrestling so much with my mental health, um, I'm taking care of some flags, some yellow flags that came up in the last year, I'm being proactive about it. But um, I obviously have not been diagnosed or anything with uh, any type of disorder before. So I can maybe take a workload on as quote unquote normal. Um, what, what, how would you, I mean, what was that work like for you? Was it, was it a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety? Was it hard to uh, focus or was it just like just at your own pace, at your own time? Or what was kind of like that? Um, when I was working for a church, I was working about 60 hours mm -hmm. and it was completely insanity. Um, a part of my working 60 hours was I am a perfectionist and I, I don't feel valued or loved um, outside of my production. So it's difficult for me to draw that line and say, you know, this is good enough and it'll be fine. I just keep working at it. So I was working 60 hours trying to manage my wild episodes and up and downs and things like that. And so it was really difficult at that point in time. And then um, I decided I wanted to go back to school. And that's when I decided it was time for me to take a step back and quit my job at the church to focus on going to school and slowing down the pace 
And I actually ended up um, getting to the point where I was only being able to work about 10 hours a week. The illness had just gotten worse over time. Um, and that's kind of the nature of mental disorders. Eventually, they just slightly get worse over time. And medications have to be changed and things like that. So I was working about 10 hours a week and I ended up in the hospital in the psych ward. And that's when they had convinced me after many people telling me that it was time to file for disability. And that was a huge hit on my pride. I was like, there's no, I can do this. And I, and the reality was I wasn't able to do it. So, um, after about is that because is is the the reason that wanting to um, file or apply for disability is, is is there another stigma that comes with that? There is. There's definitely. I don't. I don't go around telling everybody that I'm on disability, just because there's a stigma of oh she just doesn't want to work, she's just being lazy, mm-hmm. and the reality is. I would love to work another 60 hour work job, um, but that's not in the cards for me. That's just not reality at this point in time. I can't handle it. Mm. So the disability was really difficult for me to cope with. Um, but after I got it, I, I felt very fortunate that I had a very short period of time that it took to get it. Most people wait two to three years. It took me nine months. Oh, wow. um, because my case was just as cut and dry as you could possibly get. It was very obvious. Um, so I was working in ministry in a different ministry for about 10 hours a week, between 10 and 17 hours. And I was able to manage that um, because of COVID, the ministry has actually had to downsize. So they had to let me go. So I'm actually not working right now. And I feel very fortunate that I have disability now because I don't have to work. Um, I would prefer to work, but I can be patient and wait for another ministry job to come available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the time, well, kind of your salvation story. You know, you talked about how you met Jesus. Um, at, what, at what age did you um, come to know him? So 19. So that kind of, Um, that's an interesting part of my life because at 19, my mom at 18, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer and it was an incredibly rare type of cancer. And they gave her about three weeks to live. Um, she actually made it about a year and nine months, which was absolutely unheard of for the illness that she had. Uh, and I just, there was a piece about her that I didn't understand. Um, She was completely okay with being on earth and serving Jesus or being in heaven and being with him. And I was completely thrown by that. It didn't make sense to me, but all I knew was I wanted that piece um, and so shortly before she passed away, I actually gave my life to Christ and she passed away about a week later. Um, I got involved in a church and it just all kind of started from there. 
And it was really wanting that peace. And I was struggling with the torment of psychosis and everything like that. And I didn't get the peace that I expected. But I also think that God was eventually going to lead me to a diagnosis where I would um, receive a little bit more peace in my life. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting about your, your story, because you're wrestling with mental health, and then you come to that point where you accept Jesus Christ, um, and you made a very, uh, a very good uh, point of the fact that a lot of testimonies is like, I was this person met Jesus and now I'm full of joy, love and happiness and everything's, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Um, but that's not your story. Uh, in fact, uh, there wasn't, I would call maybe such a radical change. You still, still wrestled with mental health and doing those things. Um, I mean, how did that affect you then? And then today walking with Jesus, how does that look like now? Um, that, that has changed quite a bit. I, I feel less, um, like a failure, especially if it feels like a personal failure or a spiritual failure, um, when you don't have that radical testimony and the, the reality is testimonies are supposed to show us the darkness and then show us the light afterwards. But the reality is many of us don't have that. The bad part, the darkness is so past tense that it's unrelatable for people struggling currently. So I would hear these testimonies and I would feel like there's just no way I'll ever get to that point. I'm just, I'm not a good enough Christian. So today I feel a little bit more content in my faith. Um, I feel I don't get myself as down as I used to about um, just reading the Bible. When I skip a day, I'm not legalistic about it and beating myself up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe changing your, your thought process on what kind of right. salvation looks like and kind of that, that walk with Jesus looks like. And cause I, I think that's what a lot of people with mental health wrestle with, especially in the church is um, they either see the testimonies or they see, you know, kind of what they think um, a Christian looks like. And, I mean, and church is a breeding ground for people um, putting on masks, making everything look great, and then, you know, taking it off and they walk out the doors and they go back in reality. That, that's just the, the fact of church. And that's just, that's kind of how, how church is. And it doesn't make it bad. I mean, we want people to come to church. Um, but because of that, we see the person next to us and we like, oh man, they got it all together. Maybe I'm not really saved. I, I've had quite a bit of people in my, in my church that wrestle with mental health that they keep bringing that up. Um, am I saved? Uh, did, did I do salvation wrong? Am I, um, what's wrong? Am I, did I, you know, all these different things. And it's like, right. yes, you are with Jesus. You are saved. Um, but these are kind of the cards that have been dealt and we're going to walk through this together. Um, right. And so that's just kind of a, a big stigma in, in the church. Um, I mentioned on Sunday that, uh, watching, watching what you identify with 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you re- uh, wrestle with mental health, um, and on your article over, you know, you talked about. Let me kind of grab my little mouse here. See if it, I can go over here. Um, let me see if I can find it on there. You put down there, like, uh, oh yeah, very last paragraph. You write, if you struggle with any of the symptoms I talked about, or if you struggle with all of them, like me, you're not alone. There are others who can relate. You're not the only one. Uh, you don't have to live in isolation. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live afraid of getting close to anyone. It is okay to reach out and be your authentic self. But I also understand the pain of being rejected. When you talk about it's okay to be your authentic self, um, can, can you kind of further explain that with um, identifying with your mental health? Yeah, so authenticity, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Being authentic (laughs) um, is an interesting concept because it really ties in with identity and your identity is tied to two things, in my opinion. Um, It's tied to who you are in Jesus and to know that you need to be in relationship with Jesus we also need relationship with other people because as you look around yourself, um, you're going to see Jesus in other people. And if we all reflect Jesus differently, then there are aspects of Jesus that we're all going to reflect differently and we can experience him in new ways through other people. So being authentic looks like accepting your illness as a part of your life um, and not letting it hold you back from relationships with people. Um, For me, the reality is my moods change dramatically every couple of weeks. Um, And if I deny that, then I'm not being authentic in my struggle. Um, I'm also not allowing myself to have a personality And a part of my mood disorder plays into my personality. And there's a part of me that that wouldn't change that. Um, Going through different moods is just a part of myself. So being authentic is really, it's really important to understand that your illness doesn't define you, but it is a part of you. Mm. Can you dive deeper a little bit into that? So, um, basically when I refer to the illness, I refer to it as the illness instead of my illness, mm-hmm. um, which kind of equals it, it defines why I believe that it's not my illness versus the illness. It kind of how do I want to put this? Um, it makes that difference between the two. It's, it basically says, I'm not my illness. It doesn't control me, but it is a part of me. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't prevent God from working in my life. Um, it actually enables him to work through my weakness, um, which is a huge part of being authentic is allowing God to work through your 
weakness. Yeah, I think that's very well put. You know, this it's a uh, part of you, but it's not all of you. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, when I think of people in the Bible, I mean, there's, I was talking on Sunday, you know, the Bible doesn't, it's, it's not very black and white on mental health. Um, in fact, I mean, you can't really, you know, find specific things there. But however, if you look at all the different characters in scripture, um, there are examples of mental health in there. And one of the people I think of is uh, obviously King David. You know, I mean, he, right. he, he had mood swings, uh, a couple of verses. He was praising God. A couple verses later, he was saying, take me out of here. Um, jumped to another chapter. He was saying, well, I love my friends. And the next chapter, he was like, kill all my friends. I don't like them anymore. Um, and so it's, 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 uh, so there's examples in there, but I think that's what you, what you said is spot on is, you know, the best part of walking with Jesus is him working through our weaknesses, not that our weaknesses make up our identity, but they are a part of us. And that's one of the cool things of realizing who we are, um, allowing Jesus to, with his grace and mercy, do, do greater things. Right. And it really, um, it's really in that weakness that we experience God's presence the most, I think. Mm. Um, We also experience his power the most. And it's amazing when you accept your weakness, how God can turn that around to help other people. Yeah, yeah. Can you, um, can you give one example how that's worked out in your life where God's used your um, mental health to help other people? Because I think, especially with those who are listening in my church, um, I, I think that's uh, probably where they're at in their life is they, they've realized what's happening. And now they have a pastor saying, hey, you can actually help other people with your weakness. And to them, they almost feel like in the church, kind of like the stigma you talked beforehand, no, I need to get it all together and you know, either get rid of it or I'm perfect, and then I can help someone else. It's almost kind of like that line of you know, imperfect people helping imperfect people. Um, right. So I had one experience. Um, my first time in the psych ward, I spent about four days, and there was a chaplain that came in. I was very hesitant on the idea of doing a church service in the psych ward because. I'm fairly well known within the church circle Mm -hmm. and I didn't exactly want everyone and their pastor to know I was in the psych ward at that point in time. Now I'm pretty honest about it, but at that point in time, I was like, I was so overwhelmed being in the psych ward and I, there was a stigma still attached to it. And so I just didn't want that drama. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I hesitantly went to the service and there was a gal there that she was just, she was weeping. And it was amazing because she was completely in psychosis um, until we started singing worship songs. And all of a sudden she just like came back to life. Her, she was attentive. She wasn't, her tics weren't happening um all of that so it completely radically changed and I was like okay god I don't really want to be ministering to people in the psych ward that's not why why I'm here (laughs) and I wrestled with him I was like I'm not doing this I'm not talking to this lady this is not 
this is not going to happen. I'm a mess. I'm in the psych ward. I have no reason to want to minister to people. And eventually he got my attention and we started talking afterwards and she, she had been homeless. She was actually caught stealing. And instead of jail, they recognized that she was in um, massive psychosis and they took her to the psych ward and she had been in there for a few weeks. Um, And I got one of the clearest moments with her. I had sat through therapy, like group therapy with her. And she was just like, she was just not there. Um, there was such psychosis going on that um, it was like she was in a whole different world. Um, and all of a sudden, when she came to, I got to talk to her a little bit about um, exactly that, the power of our weakness and how God can still use her regardless of her situation um, and that was really powerful. I don't know what happened afterwards. I was, I was released a few days afterwards, and I don't know what that changed in her life, but I believe that God worked through um, my obedience to talk mm. with her. Yeah, wow. So was that a, uh, was that a moment where you, um, I don't know, maybe, um, I guess maybe we frame the question this way is, is when was the time where you saw yourself as a, as, you know, as Paul put it as a useful utensil to be used by God with your weaknesses and all. Um, I have been struggling with that concept for many years beforehand. Um, It was definitely one of those things that I, I understood that I was powerful in my weakness and that God's power shined through that. Mm. But it was harder to accept that um, because you see all your flaws and, and God sees all of our flaws as well. And yet he still wants to use us. Mm. Um, So that was one of the first times that I came to that point where I was like, okay, I'm going to be obedient. And you're going to work through my weakness of not knowing what to do. Yeah. So now you're in the present day. Um, Is that something you're intentional about? Is maybe looking out for those moments or? I try to be um, working at Potter's Will, which is a ministry for um, jail outreach and kind of um, a men's program and a food bank and all of these different um, resources, I got to encounter a lot of people struggling. And there were a few moments where I would have a moment of giving someone an encouraging word and saying, you know, um, this is your current state and I know you're struggling with this, Mm -hmm. but this isn't how it's always going to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for being super transparent with that. Um, as we wrap up, we got a we got a few minutes left here. Um, you know, if you can, if you could give one practical tip uh, to someone who is in the midst of wrestling with their mental health, um, I guess what what would that what would that be? That's a great question. Um, 
there's a couple tips, but the most pressing one, um, well, the first one, let's do this one. Um, there's a stigma about medication and therapy in the church. And for me personally, um, I was super against going on medication. And I was basically told your, your life is not, it's going to end if you don't go on medication. Mm. And it, it finally made sense to me that there would be, if I had cancer, I would go through chemo. Mm -hmm. If I had diabetes, I would take insulin. Um, and so being able to take the medication and still be okay with yourself is a place that everyone with mental illness has to get to. Yeah. Um, and so the faster you get there, the better your life is going to be. So going and not being afraid of taking the medication or going to therapy, I believe both work hand in hand. You can't have medication without therapy and you can't have therapy without medication. Um, they just for mental illness, maybe for a marriage, you can go to therapy and you don't need medication for a broken marriage, obviously. But for mental illness, um, some form of biochemistry adjustment needs to be made um, or you're just going to continue to struggle with the illness. Um, so being able to accept the help that is being given to you is probably one of the best advice that I could give somebody. Yeah. Now for those who are listening and they don't wrestle with mental health and they're listening to this and we're trying to break the stigma of you know, mental health is not something that can just be prayed away. It's not uh, a demonic force that we need to cast out demons. And, um, right. and it's uh, not uh, a made up psycho babble of excuse for people to live in a sinful lifestyle. Um, right. For someone that's listening to this, what, what would be, what would be one way that they could, they could take that step of being empathetic and maybe even helpful to those who are right. wrestling with mental health? There is, um, I have a friend that he not only understood the illness and a definition of a medical definition from the DSM, but he wanted to know my actual experience. And I think um, seeking to understand is one of the biggest things someone can do to help support someone with mental illness. Um, everyone's experience is a little different, but if you can understand their experience, you're going to get to one, know them better. And two, that person is going to feel less isolated within their symptoms. Um, they're going to feel a whole lot less lonely in their illness. If somebody out there understands what they're going through and you don't have to go through the illness to understand the illness, um, you can, you can understand someone's symptoms. You can understand how it affects their um, thought processes, things like that. You can all get to an understanding of. You may not experience it, but understanding and seeking to understand is a huge shift in um, how I related to people. It shifted my isolation from I have to hide this to somebody actually cares and wants to know 
about what I'm going through. Yeah, I think that really reflects what we talked about on Sunday. Um, I mentioned that, you know, don't isolate because um, uh, isolation is the biggest tactic from the enemy. But I also talked about, you know, as, as a church, we want to uh, help love one each other. Um, help bear each other's burdens and just kind of go through it together. I mean, I mean, just uh, some of the points, you know, I've talked about, you know, what, what you suffer from, I suffer from. Uh, when you suffer, we do it together. And when you suffer, we all go to Jesus together. And I think that's helpful, especially for those in the church and maybe even those who are in a leadership position and they might have someone on their team that struggles with mental health is to, you know, be that listening ear and actually take time to understand how they work. I have a daughter that has Down syndrome and I have to take time to understand her thought process, how she acts, how she behaves in order to have a productive life together. Right. And so, and I, and so, I mean, I think the same thing goes right along with mental health. Don't shy away from it. Don't shove them out in the peripherals. Um, take time to understand, know, know how they work, know how, uh, what you can do to help out. And that'll actually contribute to the productivity of your team and the, in the workplace. And so, Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's really, really good. And so is there anything else you want to mention to those who are listening before we uh, wrap up here? Yeah, I have a scripture that um, I recently read and actually heard it in a sermon as well. Um, and it's, it's a little obscure of a, of a passage, but it's Matthew twelve twenty, and he's quoting Isaiah and it says a bruised reed, he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. And that's the first part of the scripture. And I think um, when I read that over and over again, what I found was Jesus is gentle. He's, he's very gentle with us and he won't, you know, a broken reed in a, in a smoldering wick, you could easily just put out. A broken reed you could walk by and just snap the rest of it off. And Jesus doesn't do that. He's very patient and gentle with us. And in reality, our churches are full of bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. We're all in this together. We're all vulnerable. We're all, um, we all have a weakness and whether it's mental illness or physical illness, whatever that may be, um, being a group of people that Jesus does not cast aside is huge because we shouldn't be casting aside other people as well. Yeah. So that's, and then I had one, um, one interesting survey that I read in 2013, um, a survey of evangelical pastors was done and 53% of them thought depression could be cured by Bible study and prayer. And that really is, um, it's a sad statistic. And I hope maybe even through this, people will start to understand that that's not the reality of mental illness. Yeah. 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 That, that's, uh, it, it is kind of disheartening to hear, but that's, that's the stigmas of the church. And I pray that through this and through this series and hopefully as, you know, sadly as mental health rises in our society, the church would be more open and empathetic to those who are wrestling with it and um, be okay with, well, actually, you know, being intentional, being in the middle um, of it all. And I really do believe that the church is the answer to this. Um, God has created the church to be the answer to a lot of the world's uh, issues and problems. And I believe the church um, 
is the answer to those who are wrestling with mental health. Not so much as, uh, you know, we, we can pray and I do believe in miracles and I know people that, you know, they wrestle with depression and they, they were, you know, had that miracle in their life. But for the majority, that's not the story. And um, however, I, I, I see people in scripture who Jesus was intentionally walking towards to um, seeing his own disciples um, and how God, you know, didn't exactly, you know, did that miraculous healing. Instead, he chose to empathize and to walk them towards their calling with their weakness. Right. I think so, of Isaiah, not Isaiah, um, Elijah at the broom tree mm-hmm. uh, and how God did not, he was suicidal and God did not take those suicidal thoughts away. He didn't, he didn't remedy the situation, probably how he wanted him to do that. Um, but he provided a physical need. He provided a cake and water twice. And I think that is something we can take note of as well, where God doesn't always take away the suicidal thoughts. Just like when I became a Christian, he didn't take away the suicidal thoughts, but he does provide what we need exactly in that moment. And he needed food and water. And we can be those people that provide practical needs to other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very cool. Well, thank you, Amanda, for, for being on Rock Talk with us. Uh, well, as we continue to go throughout the series, we're going to have you back on. But yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us on this episode of Rock Talk. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Rock Talk. Hey, I pray that really blesses you guys. Uh, You know, it takes a lot to open up about someone's journey on mental health, especially in the area of church and battling against stigmas and uh, with all the different things that come uh, really against people who wrestle with their mental health and if we can all be honest we all wrestle with our mental health and so this is why we're going through this series we want to help you guys prioritize your mental health take care of your mind it is so important we take care of our physical bodies don't we well let's take care of our minds so over the next course of the next few weeks we're going to have a lot of great guests on we have uh, some counselors and some therapists they're scheduled to uh, deepen the chat and conversation about depression and anxiety and fear and cynicism, uh, burnout and quitting. So you guys as listeners, why don't you guys go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and follow along with us on this journey as we continue to discuss about mental health through this series called Mental Check. Hey, I'll see you guys next time. Have a great week.